is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. In for Rob Archer today, I'm Chris Seedens. I'm Charles Feldman. There's that microphone Yeah, button. sometimes you hit the button and the button doesn't want to do anything. Have you ever noticed that? I was going to say sometimes it works better when you hit the button. Yeah, it does, but sometimes maybe you hit you it and it doesn't do anything. Yeah, maybe it's possible. <laughs> anyway, a simple little laptop computer, certainly better than my finger on the button, nearly turned a routine United Airlines flight from San Diego to Newark into a major air disaster. The airline says a customer's battery pack ignited yesterday sparking a cabin fire. Four flight attendants were taken to the hospital after the plane landed back in San Diego. So we will go in-depth into how airlines balance safety with keeping customers comfortable. President Biden hands an olive branch to Republicans during his State of the Union address, but they may not be so willing to take it. And the IRS, you know, they normally want your taxes done as soon as possible. Except for now, the IRS is asking you to hold off, and we'll tell you why. Well, sky-high prices now have people venturing out of their neighborhoods in search of cheaper eggs. We'll go in-depth into where they're going, what kind of deals we can expect to come up with when we uh, venture out to find cheaper eggs. The popular TV show Yellowstone, so many people love it. I love watching it. Uh, could be in for a major change coming soon. One of its biggest stars could be out. Well, another big-name actor could be coming to the franchise. We start, though, with the airline laptop battery fire. Sean Prushnicki is a retired airline pilot, currently professor of aviation safety and operation at The Ohio State University. Uh, Sean, thanks for being back with us. Sure. Glad to be back, guys. So this has actually been uh, something that I know airlines have expressed concern about periodically over the years. People, they take their their laptops. They have, of course, their their cell phones, all of which are powered by lithium ion batteries. And those batteries, as you know, can be finicky, to say the least. How do uh, how does an airline balance the customer desire, which clearly customers do to have all of these devices on board the aircraft with the potential, as we saw yesterday, for something that could have been very catastrophic, a fire on board while the plane was in flight? Well, the number one way they do this is that these items are prohibited in the cargo hold. That's the biggest biggest factor. Because a lot of airlines around the world um, do not have have that rule. And what and what happened the other day is a perfect example why. Because as you can imagine, one of these um, lithium batteries uh, running away, so to speak, you know, catching on fire and and getting out of control in a cargo compartment um, could cause just unimaginable uh, results and consequences and a loss of the aircraft. So that's the first thing they do. It's just simply not allowed. And when when they scan your bags and they find one of those in there, you know, your your, your bag is going to be pulled. Um. Interestingly enough, those are allowed on cargo airplanes like FedEx and UPS and so forth. And that's something that's been in debate for quite some time. But so that's the number one way the FAA protects all of us. Now, the other way is um, so now we can have them in the cabin with us only. And that was the case the other day. And in an effort to balance customer needs, um, safety for all of us, um, meeting uh, regulations. The way they do this is the crews are trained to handle these as best they can. I mean, there's there, there's special ways that these need to be handled. 
and they're given some tools, um, some training to do that. Um, the one of the most important things is 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 to isolate these um, when they're when they're uh, reacting yeah. this way to isolate yeah. them from other flammable. Well, well, Sean, let me sources. ask you this: How rare is it for situations like what we saw happen uh, to happen? Does it happen more than we might expect, or is it very rare? I would say it's rare. I, I'm not, you know. Number wise, I, I simply don't have any numbers for you. Well, I, I actually I, can. There were, uh, I read it this morning, there were 57 incidents on board U.S. aircraft uh, just in the past year, uh, not leading to the hospitalization, as was the case with the United flight yesterday of, of any crew or passengers, but 57 events involving either computer batteries or, or lithium ion batteries yeah. uh, on planes. And, and so that. That does lead to the question, Sean, that, that yes, the, 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 the crews may be trained to deal with it, as you put it, but it did lead, as I just pointed out, to uh, four people having to go to the hospital. So they dealt with it, but in a manner that still caused injury. And it was fortunate, I guess, that the plane was still close to San Diego, so it turned around and landed. But suppose it was out over the Atlantic or the Pacific, and, and maybe uh, – uh, those crew members who were injured anyway would have been more injured than what? Well, so that is that is one of the biggest worries. You're you're exactly right. When um, you know it extended twin engine operations, when they're way out over uh, over the ocean, might be two, three, four hours from land, and you do have a runaway battery. Um, that is the biggest concern that if that that if that happens and you are that far away from an airport for diversion and the normal things that you're taught to do do not seem to be working i mean that's you know that's the ultimate nightmare you know scenario the um air, but you know it it's interesting you threw those numbers out i think you said 54 incidents Seven, in the 57. last okay 57 I, I think we have to keep that in perspective. You know, first of all, that that is a scary number, and I I, I couldn't agree uh, uh, anymore. But I think we also have to keep in mind that every day um, there are forty five thousand flights in the United States. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's a good yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, point yeah. well taken. For the most yeah. part, air travel is very, very safe. It's been said for years. It's much safer than uh, than getting on the road, driving on the road. Sean, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you for your time. Again, that's Sean Puchnicki, a retired airline pilot, now professor of aviation safety and operations at The Ohio State University. Right now, though, President Biden showed a softer side, I guess, during the State of the Union address. The president seemed to reach out to Republicans in hopes of working together. Now, that came before Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders gave the Republican response in which she framed the situation for the American people as no longer a choice between left and right, but she said a choice between normal and crazy. Rena Shaw is a Republican strategist and former senior congressional staffer. Amani Onyoha, I, I think I got that right, and we'll find out in a second, is a Democratic strategist and operations director for Soul Strategies. Amani, did I? You did. Okay, good. <laughs> Always good to hear. Uh, welcome, both of you. Appreciate you taking the time. Um, Rena, let me start with you as, as the Republican in-house. Uh, so the president, as we said, uh, seemed to be going out of his way last night 
to say he wants to work with the Republicans, he wants the Republicans to work with him to get things done so that the American people think that, I don't know, the government's actually doing something. Then comes the Republican response where uh, the uh, the governor uh, of Arkansas uh, now says that uh, it's a choice between normal and crazy. Watching that rebuttal was quite astonishing because there was a lot of false information Governor Huckabee Sanders pushed forward. I think in watching her, I was unimpressed entirely by how she chose to conduct that rebuttal. She's 40 and she's the youngest. She's also the first female executive of that state in that governorship. And so it's no surprise she did a lot of what we would expect from an Arkansas governor. She talked about faith and uh, she also went deeper and, and brought up a lot of the buzzwords that Republicans love, CRT, woke mob, Joe Biden can't tell you what a woman is. And she talked about authoritarian mandates and shutdowns regarding COVID. That's all stuff, red meat for the Republican base there. But then she went into some sort of confusing language, the choice between normal and crazy. And let's not forget whose press secretary she was, Donald J. Trump's. So when we look at normal, moderate Republicans who don't want Trump to continue this 2024 bid, we don't see anybody that loved that response from Sarah Huckabee Sanders last night. I don't think she's a rising star in the Republican Party anymore. Okay, Rena, Amani, you are the Democratic strategist. There are some who felt the president actually baited Republicans last night, didn't hit them hard on, on some key issues, got them, though, to declare no cuts to Medicare or Social Security. Are you among those that, that think the president and his team played that right? That was the one move of the night that I think was his strongest, was getting them to be on the record um, disapproving with the idea of cutting Medicare and Medicaid. I think that was very smart for him to call that out. And I do wish that I saw a little bit more of that throughout the night. Um, There's a lot of different Republican bills that are popping up all over the country that are pretty harsh bills um, concerning the LGBTQ plus community, um, concerning some of the things going on in Florida with the DEI initiatives being attacked and the AP African-American studies courses in public education in the book banning. So there are a few very um, pertinent issues that I do wish that he commented on and was a little tougher on because it could have given him the perfect opportunity to hold their feet to the fire and get them to publicly denounce some of that behavior. Serena, uh, you know, after every state of the union or most state of the unions anyway, people always sort of say, well, things will, maybe will change now if there's you know friction between the uh, president and the Congress or if they're from different parties, as is the case uh, here. But it always seems like things never really do change. Do you have any hope that, at least hope grounded in reality, that there will be some change because of the president's sort of olive branch, as we said, to Republicans. And, you know, as as we were just talking, as Amani pointed out, you know, getting everybody to stand in support of not cutting back uh, programs like Social, Social Security and Medicare. Or at the end of the day, is it business as usual going forward? Well, going into last night's speech, I wasn't sure Biden was up to the task. And in contrast to Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who at 40, again, is the youngest governor in the nation, he's at age 80, the oldest president to give the State of the Union address. But let's not forget, he was a member of Congress before many years. But he landed up here in the early 1970s. Here in Washington, D.C., there's a lot of love for people who love institution. And Joe Biden is one of those people. The person he took yesterday to the front of that room 
was the politician Joe Biden. He was very positive. He was very aspirational. That was the best speech I've seen him give ever even better than the campaign trail. And I'm somebody who certainly is a moderate Republican. And I was looking for tones that would certainly give um, some hope about the economy or other pressing issues, such as the cost of prescription drugs, things that young families care about too, social media for our kids and big tech, drug overdoses, mental health crises. He hit all of it. And one thing that I think we should really note is his ability to get both sides of the aisle up and clapping, not just once, but twice for police reform policies. Last night was all about bipartisanship. He wove that throughout the story. Again, I think he performed far better than any Republican was expecting. And it gave me hope that bipartisanship is not dead, that he can actually get things done with this Republican House in the next couple of years. He laid out a good plan and he talked about what they did before and he talked about what they can do in the future. That is a win. I would give this speech a B plus. Amani, we're very tight on time. Uh, there are some who felt the president um, should have said more about the China balloon incident. He just kind of gave a quick comment on that. Did that surprise you? Also, the fact he basically ignored border issues. And again, we're a little tight on time. Um, I'm not surprised by that. I am happy with how quickly he resolved the issue with the balloon. So maybe that's why he didn't want to give it too much of the sh- um, too much light for the night when there's so many issues that he had to address spanning the entire year. Um, as far as the border is concerned, it would have been nice to hear some more of his plans for the border. But I do feel like he was trying to not let that overshadow the night and really highlight more of his successes and more of the plans that he has flushed out than some of those issues that are still kind of pain points for the administration. Some good perspectives there. Rena, Amani, both of you, thank you for joining us on In-Depth. If you're about to start your taxes, the IRS wants you to wait at least a little while. It's because it's not sure at this point if it should tax your inflation relief payments from last year. Uh, Carla Dennis is an enrolled tax agent and expert based in La Palma. Uh, Carla, thanks for joining us. First of all, how likely is it the IRS will tax these inflation payments that we got last year. I think it's very likely. That's a recurring theme where IRS tax money coming in from the states. So I think taxpayers may be in for a rude awakening. But shouldn't that have been thought of beforehand? I mean, uh, there have been analogous things in the past, as I understand it, not with these kinds of checks, but with other things, where uh, states have given uh, you know, taxpayers one thing and then the feds come along and say, yeah, but that's really taxable income. Shouldn't California and the other, I think it's 18 or so other states that have a a similar issue. Shouldn't they have figured out beforehand that this could be an issue with the IRS and give people a heads up? That would have been wonderful. Yes, they should have figured it out. But here we are again after taxpayers have filed their returns saying, hold on, stop the presses. Well, if you do file now, is it simply a case the government will will do an adjustment uh, and you'll either get a a credit sent to you uh, or or a request for more money back? How will things play out in the future looking ahead because of them asking us right now to wait? Most taxpayers who have already filed, they will end up getting a bill back from the IRS. And here's the thing. When they get that bill, it's not just going to be the bill for the tax it's probably going to be penalties and interest associated with it. Wait, so so in addition to the tax, yeah. So if you people, if you go so, ahead, so if you got like a, a two hundred dollar check back right from California, so you may have to pay 
tax on that to the feds, but also interest? Absolutely. Absolutely. What's going to happen with taxpayers is that if IRS comes in and says, hello, you should not have received that money and they're going to send you back a bill, that bill is going to be inclusive of interest and penalties, especially if that bill is given past April 15th, which chances are they won't course correct this and get those notices out to taxpayers until after April 15th. Even though you did everything in good faith when you filed your taxes. Correct. But but that's almost the, the definition of insanity. I mean, the, I mean, the state gives you money, which they say is yours for the reasons that they come up with, right, based on your income and that sort of thing. And they say, here, here's a check. Good luck. You know, deposit it. Do with it what you wish. And then, oops, we changed the rules. Well, the, or the feds changed the yeah. rules. Anyway, and they come in and they say, not only do you owe us taxes on that money that California gave you, <laughs> but now you owe us uh, interest and a penalty, even though you did nothing wrong. Yes, that's exactly what taxpayers are going to be faced with. And that is insane. Tax, it is just it, insane. It is insane. Yes. What, well, what what kind of advice are you uh, giving to your clients? Right now, I'm telling my clients, hold off on filing the returns for right now, because if they have to amend those returns, they're going to have to pay for the amendments. And if they amend the returns and IRS decides to fix it on their end, then they can be in double trouble, right? They can amend, but then IRS turns around and fixes the tax return and really causes headaches for the taxpayers. So I'm asking the taxpayers just to hold off a week or so. Now, to be clear about this, too, this would only apply, I would imagine, to people here in California who received money from the state. If you didn't get any money from the state, then you could go ahead and file, right? That would be correct. But my concern is there's been so much fraud around receiving these refunds. What if a taxpayer received a refund, but they never actually received it in their hand, but the state has a record of it going out to them. Oh, that's a mess. It is a mess. What a mess. Okay. Uh, Carla, thank you for adding some uh, some light to this. I'm not sure we totally get it yet, but we thank you again. Carla Dennis, enrolled tax agent expert on taxes based in La Palma. I mean, insanity Insanity. is the only word that that really, I mean, it is just, wow. Crazy. Uh, And this is clearly something that we are going to be following Mm -hmm. uh, in the days and weeks ahead because it is just (laughs) mind-boggling. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Chris Seedenson for Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. If you like eggs, and honestly, who doesn't? You've been looking to save some money. (laughs) It's kind of tough these days. You might want to consider driving to a local egg farm. They've been seeing an increase in customers looking for affordable eggs. Yeah, those uh, farm eggs could get even cheaper soon with wholesale egg prices dropping now from record highs. Phil uh, uh, Maust is with us. He owns Maust's, Maust's California Poultry and Chino. There you are, Phil. You there? Hello. Oh, mm-hmm. there you are. So uh, eggs are getting cheaper now, uh, I guess because they're getting the uh, avian flu that was devastating the chickens under control and some other factors. But how is that impacting your business? Because if eggs are getting cheaper, wouldn't people just go back and get them at the supermarket where they usually get them? Yeah, well, see, the avian flu is, you know, killed off around 50 million 
uh, egg layers in the, in the country, mostly in the Midwest. And then there's this dried up the supply and that's why the, you know, spike in eggs. Um, now as those flocks come back into production, as they, you know, get new, new chickens, it takes, it takes a while. And yeah, the markets, uh, come off just a little bit in the last, uh, couple weeks. Um, you probably start seeing a little bit in the, you know, in the supermarkets, but the supermarkets seem that they have kept their prices down and basically used eggs as like a lost leader because they, you know, they just don't want to charge all that much. And so we're competitive, you know, we're, we're a little cheaper than the, the stores, but a lot of places are out of eggs or been out of eggs because uh, like Costco and whatnot, they seem like they run out often. So, you know, supplies are, are tight. Um, so things well, are going to start changing. Yeah, Phil, paint a bit of a picture for us, if you could, with so many people looking for better prices because egg prices is so high in grocery stores. Just how busy has your facility been? How much of a strain have you seen on on your system, or has it been a strain? Yeah, we, yeah uh, but we're 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 packed. I mean, we're <laughs> we got a line of people uh, much of the time. Uh, they found us also. They're looking for you know better prices. Uh, you know, part of it's just just supply um there's an egg ranch across the street from us in chino um he runs out of eggs every day and shuts the door um he only has you know like thirty thousand chickens once he sold out he's done and then the people <laughs> they come over to our place and and we get mobbed so it's just kind of good because it's uh it's it's really good you know uh, visibility for us uh, you know yeah we can't have it. Phil, <laughs> how, how, how long have you been in the egg biz well, my father started about 1956. Okay, and I grew up in it, and uh, it's a family business. My and uh, everybody's sons and everybody are right. busy. Uh, so, have you ever seen this kind of market for eggs? No, it's a absolute, uh, you know, the highest of all time ever. That there's eggs have never been this high. Well, well tell me, uh, with your farm, I take it you distribute to to all the the big name. Um, products or egg products that we see on the shelves in our grocery stores. Uh, tell me, is there a bit of a, a balancing act for you uh, selling to the public directly as opposed to selling to the, the big manufacturers who put them on the store shelves? Yeah, I mean, selling to the public, you know, we uh, we we re selling all of our production virtually. Um, we sell to restaurants also at some farmer's markets, um, but uh, most of our eggs are going through our store in Chino. And, uh, we got a little, you know, like a little zoo. And so people like to come out and see the animals and kind of come out to the farm. The, am I correct? I mean, there are different kinds of eggs, right? I mean, do you have yeah. different kinds? And, and are, is there more demand for one type of egg than there is for another? Well, there's three types of eggs. You got your white eggs, um, brown eggs, and we do the blue-green eggs from like America, uh, Americana chickens. Blue-green? Wow. Uh, and that, not too many people know about that. No. And, uh, no right. Well, yeah. actually, tell me about that. What's a, so? It's blue green. The egg. The, like the shells are blue green. Yeah. yeah, it's it's kind of an Easter egg. Uh, <laughs> a ready made they, ready made uh, Easter egg. Yeah, they they have an egg called the Easter eggers, and the birds will lay all kinds of different colors. But uh, these are a blue green egg, and and uh, they've been very popular. Uh, they're lot, lately you can only really find them in. Um, you know, farmers markets and stuff where people have small flocks, but uh, do they taste? We've any, had gone. Did they taste the same as any other egg? Well, you know, people say they taste a little different. Um, you know, a lot of people say that eggs are supposed to taste all the same, but 
then again, the, the type of feed that we yeah. feed them. We even add some kelp to our feed, and it really enhances the flavor. So, uh, you know, you need to ask our customers. Yeah. Uh, they, they swear by them. <laughs> Phil, thank you again. That's uh, Phil Maust. He's with uh, Maust California Poultry in Chino. Did you ever see a blue-green? I have uh, not. Uh, not other, I mean, other, other than like an Easter egg. Other than was, Easter, yeah. Yeah, huh. Well, one of the big draws to the hit TV show Yellowstone, of course, actor Kevin Costner. He's played John Dutton since the show began in 2018, but he could be riding off on his horse into the sunset. Yeah. Variety says it has to do with Costner's shooting schedule. So if that happens... What becomes of the show? Well, maybe some big changes. Joe Otterson is the uh, television reporter for Variety who's been working on this story. Joe, thank you for taking some time for us. First, we have two things brewing here, right? We have the situation regarding Costner and plans to expand the franchise. Tell us about that. Yes. So, um, first of all, gentlemen, thank you for having me. Um, So it it looks as though Kevin Costner will, in fact, be leaving the show he has, uh, he's been, you know, of course, he was a very big movie star prior to working on the show. It was a very big get for them to get him to commit to doing a television series in the first place. And he's also been making films while doing Yellowstone. So it seems as though now he's working on this this epic multi-part Western film of his called Horizon. The shooting schedule for that is very intense. And so it just appears as though that uh, the timing isn't going to work out and all parties concerned are thinking it's best if everyone just part ways at this point. Uh, but the... What will happen then, though, it seems to be, is that with him gone, a new iteration of the show would begin that would feature a number of the major stars from Yellowstone with Matthew McConaughey reportedly in talks to then play the new lead role in the show. Okay, but he wouldn't be playing the same role, right? I mean, they would have to sort of figure out how to, in the storyline, get rid of Costner's uh, character and bring in somebody else. Is that the idea? Correct. Yeah, it would be really interesting, though, to see them just have Matthew McConaughey take over the role of John Dutton and then just no. not acknowledge it at all. Well, you know, they've, as you know, they've done that on TV shows in the past. That just wouldn't be right. <laughs> it's, no. it's been done. Um, but, but that, honestly, if I could just interrupt, that would be like replacing uh, Tony Soprano with somebody other than precisely. Gandalf. Well, you know, you know years and years yeah. ago, and, and it's still available in reruns on that old show, Bewitched. Well, yes. Uh, you know, her husband <laughs> won for three seasons yeah, was one work. guy. <laughs> right. Both Darren's looked alike, though. You yeah, well, but then all of a sudden some other guy was her husband uh how much of this you know i'm always a little suspicious of these things uh joe is this though uh possibly a move on costner's part to just milk more money out of the producers by saying you know i'm kind of tired i'm doing movies and i really want to get out of this thing but if they wave enough money in front of his face he'll all of a sudden find the time well, I don't want to speculate on that, but I will say that um, Kevin is currently one of the highest paid actors in TV. I mean, if I remember correctly, he's making close to a million dollars an episode on the show. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's a question of money. It might it could be a, a move also on the part of Paramount to just put the pressure out there saying, well, Kevin, you don't want to shoot that many days on the show. We can bring in Matthew McConaughey to take, you know, to do this new show without you, et cetera. But again, I mean, you know, Kevin Costner doesn't need this show. And I think at this point, the show doesn't really need him. I mean, the show's become so successful with so many characters, so many new storylines, these prequels they're doing. They can do a lot of things without having to have Kevin Costner there. Hmm. I'm just trying to picture how Matthew McConaughey fits into the uh, into the show. He, he, as somebody like yourself who's watched the show, uh, how do you see him being introduced? Well, again, I don't know any specifics about what kind of a role they would they would bring him in for. Yeah, but, what but I do know. Is, but but, well, but how was, would, maybe how would you like to see him brought in? 
Well, what I my speculation was this is that um, it's been previously announced that Taylor Sheridan is developing a spinoff show set at the 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 real life Four Sixes Ranch in Texas that was featured, I believe, in season three or four of Yellowstone. I don't remember exactly which, but uh, they sent the character Jimmy there to kind of learn how to be a cowboy, and that show that's set in Texas. Matthew McConaughey, you know, is a, is a proud Texan, lives in Austin, so I think it would make sense if some characters then left the Yellowstone Ranch, moved to the Four Sixes Ranch, and it turns out Matthew McConaughey is running things there or something along those lines would make sense to me at least well it's going to be interesting and as long as they don't mess with beth <laughs> oh nobody's <laughs> messing with beth i can guarantee that nobody I, wants to mess with I, beth. i've got a friend who who tells her mother if she, her mother upsets her uh she says don't don't beth hutton me <laughs> or dutton sorry beth don't beth dutton me Anyway, oh, yeah. you guys, you got to watch the show to understand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, Joe, thank you again. That's Joe Otterson, television reporter with Variety, who's been working on this. So would you be very upset if, if Kevin Costner leaves? I think as the a show viewer? Would be, well, as a viewer, he's, he's an integral part of the show. He's, he's the Tony Soprano of this show. So if he's out and it, let's say it is Matthew I'd, McConaughey, I would, would you in, watch I would, it? I would watch to see uh, how, they're, how they make the, the change. I mean, they could yeah. make him like it's his brother or yeah. his long lost you know, cousin. <laughs> Who knows? Exactly. Yeah. To, to be determined. <laughs> That'll do it for today's In Depth. Uh, we're back again. Rob's back again with us tomorrow. For Charles, I'm Chris Seedens. We're back again tomorrow. 